So called and commissioned, really throughout, throughout the Bible, uh, people are called, or God called people to himself and uh, commissioned them to a task, to a, to a service, to, to a ministry. Uh, just think, think of Moses when God called him to send him to, to Egypt to lead his people out of Egypt. It says, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And of course, we, we've just sang a song about, uh, based on the call and commission of, of Isaiah with a message of salvation to the people of God when he says, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. And so today... In many churches, there are those who are called and commissioned to, to ministry. Uh, you may have attended even a commissioning service where, where, where a, a, a charge is given to those who would go, the ones who are sent out, uh, usually committing them to the care of the Lord, uh, charging them to be faithful to their ministry, often with counsel from the Word of God uh, about uh, uh, really, the uh, what what it what it means to have a God glorifying Christ glorifying ministry, um, but see the ones who are ordained to go cannot go unless they are helped by others. They are supported by others, and so really, we as believers, all of us are called, and all of us are commissioned to ministry, and each of us has a role to play in that. Uh, to fulfill that ministry, to fulfill that mission. Some is to go, some is to support, all are to be involved. And so therefore it is imperative for us to know what makes for a Christ-glorifying ministry. And so today in our text, uh, in, in Matthew 10, verse 5 to 15, you can turn there in the meantime, uh, we find really the first ordination service or message, the, the initial commissioning charge of Christ to his disciples. Uh, in the previous section we covered last night, we, we heard that we are commanded to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send in workers into his harvest uh, and then we read that, that the Lord summoned the twelve disciples and sanctioned them to go. And so now in our section today, we, and really the rest of chapter 10 deals with what the disciples can, can, or should do and what they can expect. But in our text, verse 5 to 15, we, we, we find this charge that Christ gives his disciples the first time he sent them out into the harvest. And we have really four uh, distinctive, ministry distinctives, which makes for a God-glorifying or a Christ-glorifying ministry. Uh, four really directives. And, and a Christ-glorifying ministry is really a Christ-directed ministry. It is a Christ-dominant ministry. It is a Christ-dependent ministry. And it is a Christ-driven ministry. And so let me read that for us in Matthew 10 verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. 
Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city and village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay in his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. Uh, If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that that you would indeed minister to us. We thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you for your spirit that makes it alive to our hearts. Lord, we pray that that you have tilled the soil of our hearts. And uh, Lord, that we are ready to receive the life-giving word. So Father, I pray that as we are considering these words, this charge to to go and and minister, Lord, that you would um, give us tender hearts uh, and willing hearts to, to go and to obey. And we ask these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, we see that it is a, a Christ-glorifying ministry, is a Christ-directed ministry. Uh, really directed in the scope or to the extent or the breadth. And Jesus directed uh, the Twelve's uh, scope of ministry. They were not to go to the Gentiles. They were not to go to the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of the house of, of Israel. Uh, to those that we read earlier uh, were, who were distressed and dispirited because of a lack of a, of a shepherd. And of course, we know that in doing so, the Lord is not for, forgetting Gentiles and Samaritans. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, he ministered to both of them uh, during his time on earth. Uh, but God's plan of salvation has always included uh, other nations apart from, from Israel. I mean, it's found uh, in its infant form, really in the Abrahamic covenant, that through Abraham and its seeds, all families on earth will be will be blessed. Uh, it's formed part of the ministry of the Messiah, the servant of God, as as expounded for us in in the book of Isaiah and other places. Uh, we are we read that Isaiah prophesied that the Gentiles would become the people of God, and and if I don't, you probably I know you won't remember, but back in uh, Isaiah 19 when we were there, uh, we we read this wonderful verses of 20 uh, and 21 of Isaiah 19. He says, he will send them a savior. This is now talking to those of the land of Egypt. He said, he will send them a savior and a champion and he will deliver them. Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering and he and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And so 
of course, that passage goes on and includes the Syrians. And so just an indication that God's plan of salvation has always been uh, to include the Gentiles. But over here, uh, it's first to the Jews. And that is the sequence, really, that we find throughout the New Testament is that the gospel should be preached, but preached first to the Jew and then also to the Gentile. Uh, and so here we have the Lord sending his working, determining their or directing their ministry. We read, of course, later on in Acts 1, when, when Jesus said you should, they should wait in Jerusalem until they have been empowered from on high, and then they will be his witnesses both in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, we know that that from Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, that that Peter was given the ministry, the gospel, to take to the circumcised, that is the Jews, and Paul was entrusted with the gospel to take to the to the Gentiles. And so again, we see that the Lord is the one who directs ministry. Uh, we, we also read, of course, of Paul and Apollos, that, that Paul was the one who planted and Apollos came and he watered, but both of them were working in the field of, of God. And then, of course, we have at the end of Matthew, uh, the Lord's great commission that we should go and make disciples. And, of course, that was, uh, first of all, directed to his disciples in front of him. But, of course, by extension, it is true of all of us that we should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the uh, Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Uh, before that, he says that all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and therefore in that authority go. And then at verse 20, he says that, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so just, just even from that small little, little passage, we, we, we see that the ministry that, that, that is Christ directed is that we go in Christ's authority. That, uh, we should minister and we should go because he commanded us to go and, and really no other authority on earth or in heaven, uh, should override his command or can override his command. Uh, a God glorifying ministry is one who obeys Christ above all. Uh, and disobey any other authority, any other uh, authority that makes a command, a decree, a mandate uh, of Christ's disciples not to observe all that he has commanded them. Uh, furthermore, the, the, the direction that Christ gives us that we need to proclaim his word. We need to make disciple by, first of all, proclaiming Christ, the gospel, baptizing them, and then, of course, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And so we, our message is not our own. Our message is Christ's message. Our message is the gospel. Our message is the word of God. Not our own stories, not our own agendas, not our own desires, but the gospel. We are to teach and preach the gospel. And when we do, that brings glory to Christ. Uh, and the ministry that, that neglects the teaching and preaching of God's word is not a Christ-glorifying ministry. So if you sideline the, the message, if you sideline uh, the preaching, if you sideline the gospel, if you sideline the word of God, then that is not glorifying Christ. Also, we are to be assured of his presence, a God-directed, uh, Christ-directed ministry. We can be assured of his abiding presence, and therefore, that should embolden us to speak. 
Uh, we should not be afraid when we are threatened uh, or even persecuted, as we read in the early church uh, of, uh, in, in Acts uh, that has happened. They, they were undeterred. They were bold and just kept on preaching in spite of the opposition. And they are also not ashamed of the message of the gospel. Uh, a Christ-glorifying ministry, a Christ-directed ministry, is unashamed of the gospel. The message of foolishness according to the world. But that message of foolishness according to the world is God's message. It's God's wisdom and God's power unto salvation. And so the first point is that we have to, for a Christ-glorifying ministry, it needs to be a Christ-directed ministry. And a Christ-directed ministry goes in His authority, uh, preaching His name, and is, are assured of His presence, and therefore are bold and unashamed. Then it goes on in verse 7 and 8, we read of a Christ-dominant ministry. A Christ-dependent, or rather glorifying ministry is a Christ-dominant ministry. Here he says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And so as you go, preach, or rather preach, is the emphasis of that passage. Preach and, and, and preach as you are going. Uh, and preach what? Preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the kingdom is defined really by a ruler, a king, and then a, of, of a kingdom, a, a realm, and then also subjects, uh, citizens. And so it's the, a kingdom has a ruler, the ruled, and the realm that they, uh, that he rules over. And so here we have Christ sending out uh, his disciples to preach the kingdom of heaven. And, and I'm pretty sure, although I cannot be dogmatic about it, that the gospel of Isaiah was, was a major text for them to preach from. Because so much of the king and the kingdom is revealed to us in the gospel of Isaiah. Uh, and so they were to, to, to preach his rule, the coming Messiah's rule, the king's rule. Isaiah 2 verse 1 reads, For the word of Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains and will be raised above the hills. And all the nations will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation and never again will they learn war. So they were to preach that Christ is coming and when he comes, he will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. He will rule in Jerusalem. Nations will come to him to hear the word preached and there will basically be peace on, 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 in the world. Um, so they had to preach that to them a child was been, has been given, Isaiah 9, who is the wonderful counselor, the, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace, whose government will know no end and whose government will be, uh, be characterized by righteousness and justice and peace. And so they need to proclaim his rule. They also needed to proclaim his righteousness, that he came to make his people righteous, fit for his kingdom. And so they were to preach Christ as the suffering servant of God. As we read in Isaiah 52, 
verse 13 all the way through to 53:12. Uh, he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, John 1:29. He's the Son of God who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He's the one whose life and ministry was to make atonement for sin. Atonement, really, his atonement forms the basis of his kingdom. For his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, of justice, and of peace. And, and there, can no, there can only be righteousness, justice, and peace when sin has been dealt with, when sin has been atoned for. And so Christ came and he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. They were to preach that the king is coming and that the king is going to make atonement for their sin. They need to preach repentance. The repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that the kingdom is founded on his righteousness and that no one can enter his righteousness, not even those who had a righteousness as good as the scribes and Pharisees Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Righteousness that is required for the kingdom needs to surpass even the righteousness of these religious leaders. And so they needed to preach the, the, the rule of Christ. Uh, they needed to, pay, to preach his righteousness. They needed to preach his restoration. Uh, preaching Christ, the king who is the offspring of Jess, the son of David who will restore Israel, bless the nations and restore even nature. And in Isaiah 11, we read that the wolf and the lamb would dwell together. The leopard and the young goat would lie down together. The calf and the young lion will, will live in harmony. The cow and the bear will graze together and the lion will eat straw as the ox. Extraordinary. Uh, we read that and we're like, but in fact, his reign will restore really, uh, nature to what it was before the fall. Um, his redemption from sin and his righteousness will reverse the effects of the curse when he reigns here on earth. And Isaiah 35 reads that this Messiah will come and he will uh, uh, blind eyes will be opened and deaf ears will be unstopped and the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue and the mute will shout for joy. And these were the very... Words that Jesus quote when, when the, the, uh, John the Baptist asked him, is he the one or should we await for another? And Jesus quoted them these words from Isaiah in, in evidence that he is the Messiah, that he is here. The king has come. 
And therefore the kingdom is at hand. Receive the king and you will receive the kingdom. And so preach the king and his kingdom and, and, and the wonders of it that nations will come to his light. We read in Isaiah 60. They will, uh, uh, nations will pay tribute to the king. Uh, there will be peace in the land. The people will be righteous. The land will be productive. The cities, the ruined cities will be restored. And then preach the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, in Isaiah 66, verse 70 to 25, we read that there will be great rejoicing and no more weeping and crying. Uh, it, it will preach that death will be a strange event in this kingdom. For infants and those who die young will be considered accursed. And the fact that they still speak about dying in this period of time means the new heavens and the new earth that is mentioned here in Isaiah 65 is not the same as the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation. There, there will be no more death, no more sin. But here we still find there is death. So it refers to his millennial kingdom when he comes again. And so they need to preach this. Preach Christ. Preach his rule. Preach his righteousness. Preach his restoration. And preach his repentance. Repent and believe. Seek the Lord while you may, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my, your ways my ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Isaiah 55. And he's calling them and says, Repent, return to the Lord and believe, believe his word, believe every promise that we have preached to you. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king is here, he's in our midst. And so for us, we need to preach, we need to have, a, uh, as a church, have a ministry that is Christ dominant, that, that the preaching of the word um, is Evident and prevalent, and that the preaching of the gospel will go forth from us. But it's not only dominated a God-glorifying ministry that is Christ-dominant. It's not only dominant by preaching; it is dominant uh, in the practice of His compassion. Because we read here that they were given power and authority to perform supernatural healings. And these miracle healings served as their official credentials that they are Christ's representative, that they represent the king, that the very miracles that Jesus performed, healing the sick, cleansing the leper, casting out demons, raising the dead, they will do likewise and that will serve as their official credentials. 
And we see that later on in the early church, the outpour, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we see these signs were primarily performed by the apostles and those who are closely associated with them. We read in Acts 2 verse 43, everyone kept a, feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Acts 5.12, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were with one accord in Solomon's portico. Then in 2 Corinthians 2.12, we read that the sign of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And Hebrews warned in chapter 2, that for this reason we must pay close attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, by the signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. And so we see that these empowerments, this authorization that was given to the disciples, the twelve disciples at this time, served as their official credentials. We should not see that as normative for all times. Uh, they also served as, as the official credentials for the apostles in the early church. Um, Today, I mean, basically what happened is, is these miracles serve to authenticate them as messengers and their message as from God. They were men who spoke from God. Now today, we have the Bible. We have the Word of God. The teachings of the apostles have been compiled for us into the Bible that we have before us. The Word of God, the message of Christ was authenticated. It needs no more authentication. It needs no more further miracles and signs to prove that it is the Word of God. You just have to read it and believe it. But many today, like the evil and adulterous generations of Jesus' time, were seeking and craving for a sign not to believe, or to sign to be before they would believe, rather, in, in Matthew 12, 39. And furthermore, back to our text in, in Matthew 10, uh, the original language is such that, that the emphasis is not on the signs, but on the message. It is to preach as you are going, and as you, are, as you preach, have compassion on others. So don't turn into full-time faith healers. Don't turn into full-time miracle workers. But be preachers of the word. Be preachers of Christ. Preachers of the kingdom. And in doing so, also practice compassion. Practice the love of Christ. And I will give you authority over disease, death, and demons to demonstrate the presence of the kingdom um, and, and the compassion of the king is here. And so a Christ-glorifying ministry is one dominated by the preaching of Christ and by the practice of compassion. See, our, our, our commission is slightly different to them. The, the 12 at that time, and we specifically talk at that time, uh, 
They were sent only to Israel. We are sent to the nations. They were sent to preach the kingdom. We are sent to preach Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. They were, they were authorized and empowered to perform these authenticating miracles so that people would believe we are to preach Christ risen from the dead, the greatest authentication that there is, the greatest miracle that there is, and that we need to preach life, life in Christ, through faith, in a message that is already authenticated. And their credentials was really, or were, healings. Our credentials is the gospel and the character of Christ and the compassion of Christ. Do we preach Christ accurately? Do we love people and others as Christ loved them? James reminds us that pure religion, uh, pure and undefiled religion is in the sight of God is, is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. As ministers of the gospel, as a ministry that shows the compassion of Christ. We need to care for those who are orphans and widows. James further reminds us that, that when someone comes to us and, um, who is in need, a brother and a sister, and we say, be blessed, be warm, be filled. Off you go, here is the gospel, but we don't help them. We don't, if our faith do not have works, it is useless. It is dead by its being by itself. John reminds us in 1 John 3, verse 16, 18, that, that whoever of us has the world's goods and see our brother in need and closes our heart to them, how can the love of the Father be in us? And so we are, if a Christ-glorifying ministry is one who is dominated by the preaching of the world, but also dominated by the compassion of Christ, the reaching out to those who are in need. And so a Christ-glorifying ministry is Christ-directed, it is Christ-dominant, also it is Christ-dependent. Verse 8, the last Part, freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. And so a Christ-glorifying ministry is a Christ-dependent ministry, depending on the Lord for provision. Preaching and teaching and showing compassion freely, without Charge. Freely you received, freely give. There must be no simony, as one com commentator puts that. You remember Simon the sorcerer who saw that at the laying of the hands of by the apostles on people, they would receive the Holy Spirit and therefore uh, have all these sign gifts as, as authenticating their faith. He wanted to purchase that ability. He wanted to make money from the gospel. And uh, sadly, many today seems to be wanting to make money from the gospel as well. 
But here, the urgency was so great that Jesus sent the twelve without even making preparations for their ministry. Just go. Don't take any gold, any silver, any copper in your money belts. Don't, don't raise support before the time. Just take, don't even take an extra bag, an extra coat, extra sandals or a staff. Just take the bare minimum. Just go. And they should not worry about their provision. Why? Because the worker is worthy of his support. Really, the worthy there has the idea of, of value, um, probably comparative value, that, that bringing the gospel to someone is worth them supporting you. And of course, we know that later on, so this, this, this should not be seen as, as necessarily normative for all ministry, because later on in, in Luke 22, uh, Jesus instructed them to take things with them, to prepare for ministry. In verse 25 of Luke 22, and he said to them, When I sent you out without money, belt, and bag of sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt, Take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. And so now they were instructed to prepare themselves to go um, into the mission, into the harvest. And really, we 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 find from these two words some some valuable principles that we can draw to 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 evaluate a Christ dependent ministry. And first of all is the one I've already said that a Christ dependent ministry is one who offers the gospel without price, without charge. Uh, we don't sell the gospel. We don't charge for the gospel. We don't limit the gospel to those who can pay for it. The good news is a message for all people. Uh, it is free. And we should we have received it freely. We should Give it freely. And a Christ-dependent ministry should be supported by God's people. The worker is worthy of his support. Uh, the full-time worker ought to be supported by God's people. We can't expect an unbeliever to do that. And so Scripture is, uh, is just replete with exhortations to give and to give liberally to the work of the Lord. And ultimately, each one of us will have to give an account uh, to the way in which we spend our resources, the way how we stewarded what was entrusted to us. And so we are to support the ministry. And th- th- there is a warning for those working in the ministry not to, to show favoritism. As, as James tells us, not to, not to, uh, see the man with the gold ring and, and the fine clothes and, 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 and draw him closer and say, no, you come and sit here because there's a big donation sitting right here. Uh, we should not pay attention to the fine clothes and the, and the golden rings, uh, because it is the poor that are rich in faith, James reminds us. Nor should we be hypocritical in our giving, in our support. As the Pharisees were, who were blowing a trumpet before they would give to the house of the Lord. That they may be honored by men. But their giving had to be in secret. Let not the left hand know what the right hand is doing. 
There is also a warning for us not to be selfish, that we cannot serve both God and mammon, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I mentioned earlier, that if we have the world's goods and we see a brother in need and we close our hearts to him, how does the Lord of God, the love of God rather, abides in him? We have an instruction to the rich to be uh, rich in good deeds. First Timothy 6 Verse 17 instructs those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited nor to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And really there's an exhortation for all of God's people uh, to share all the good things that we have with those who teach us them. It says in Galatians 6, 6, and that we should be careful with what we sow and because uh, what we sow is what we will ultimately reap. And so if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. And if we sow to the spirit, we will reap from the spirit or through the spirit eternal Life, So do not get weary in doing good. But let all of us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. And so Christ-dependent ministry really is one who supports the ministry, uh, is supported by God's people. Uh, also, those who are in full-time ministry need to trust God for their provision uh, to go and to trust that the Lord will provide. If they are called and they are commissioned, then God will provide. And that is one of the, the key uh, parameters that, that we look at at a ministry, at the feasibility of the ministries is, has God provided for that ministry? Uh, and so Paul is a great example for us who was faithful to his task uh, with contentment, even when things were difficult. Uh, he, he writes to the, to the Philippians, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but now, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in all and every circumstance, I have learned the secret and being filled and going hungry, both in having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share in my, with me in my afflictions. You yourself also know, Philippians, at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, this is interesting, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Even when, uh, even in Thessalonica, you send a gift more than once for my need. Not that I need that gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Uh, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so... Uh, a Christ-glorifying ministry is a dependent ministry. Uh, it's dependent on the people of God, and those who are in service also need to depend on Him for their provision. And then lastly, we see that a Christ-glorifying um, ministry is a Christ-driven ministry. 
Verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust of your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so a Christ-driven ministry is one that is really controlled and propelled by Christ and how people respond to the gospel. And so we find here there's a way to follow. There was a specific instructions of how the, how the disciples were to, to treat and to act depending on how people responded to their message. And then, of course, there's a serious warning as well. But let's look at the way to follow. Uh, he says, inquire who is worthy. That doesn't mean you go around when you arrive in the town and go around and see who's the most hospitable person in, the, in, the, in, this, in this little town. Uh, but it is by testing, by examining. And the test is the message of the kingdom. Those who are eager to hear and are hospitable at heart, they would come and invite you in. And then it says, as you enter uh, your house, uh, really there, there's two implications here. So you've met this person, you go to their house, they've, they have indicated interest in the gospel message, and you know, they may be worthy, they may receive the gospel, they may accept the Christ as the king. And then it says, when you enter, you give your peace to them. It's basically a greeting to them, which is a, um, in those days, it was just be peace be with you. It's a, it's a kind of a prayer that they, that they said that, Lord, may your peace be upon this house or household rather by, by extension. And so if, if they have judged correctly and they've went to this house and, and the people receive the message of the kingdom of heaven, uh, then their peace will stay with them and they will stay with those people. Uh, not go around to, to many other houses, but just stay with, with, with the one. But they could be wrong and find that this house is not worthy, that after they have learned more about the kingdom, they reject the king and his gospel. In that case, their greeting, their peace would return to them. Now it's unclear what, exactly what that would look like, uh, but it certainly means that there is no peace for those in an unworthy household. The peace of the, that the message bring and the messengers taught would not remain on them. Perhaps this points to, to what, what Isaiah said, that there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord in Isaiah 48.22 and also 57.21. And so those who reject the message and the messengers, those who prove themselves to be unworthy, the disciples were to leave them and to dust off their feet, to shake off the dust from their feet. And this was, this was a practice that was done by, by Jewish people when they moved from a Gentile territory into a Jewish territory. As they leave the Gentile territory, they would dust off their feet, uh, 
uh, and before they entered. And so the significance of that in this passage is that uh, those who do not receive the, the, the message, that do not believe the message and do not receive the messengers of the kingdom are to be treated as Gentiles, as unbelievers, those who are outside the covenant promises of Israel. They are not part of the chosen nation of Israel. Why? Because they have refused their king. They do not want him to rule over him, and therefore they are not part of his kingdom. And so they were to dust off their feet as a show that they are no longer, they are not worthy of the covenant blessings that God has given to Israel. And we see this, of course, in, in the book of Acts when, when Paul uh, was opposed by the Jewish people in Poseidon, um, Antioch and also in Corinth, he left and said, he said to them, uh, Acts 18.6 says, But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And so he, re- he dusted off his feet and he left them, uh, basically indicating they are as good as the unbelievers who have rejected their king. Uh, and so the ministry, uh, their ministry was driven by Christ uh, and, and the response of people to Christ. Um, if he was accepted, they were to stay and preach longer and stay longer. Um, but if not, they were not to linger, but to leave. And that was what the twelve were told to do. Of course, earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, we read that Jesus says that we should not Give what is holy to dogs, nor to cast our pearls before swine, for they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so the disciples here at this case, at this, at this time, with the urgency of, of that mission was to, to go or were to go and, uh, at the, at the rejection of the message and of the messengers, they were to leave. They were to go to the next place. Uh, but we need to, for us today, we need to make very sure that when we are rejected, when the gospel is rejected, it is rejected because they reject the message, not because of the arrogance of the messenger, not because of the disrespectful nature of the messengers, not because of the hypocritical ways of the messenger. We need to persevere. And nor does this give us an account to just say, okay, that the first sign of, of, of opposition or someone who does not immediately fall down in repentance, uh, at, at the, at the proclamation of the, the gospel that we therefore leave. Now we live, we need to persevere. We need to love people, be patient with people. Uh, there's a, there's a, a pastor, Charles Simeon, who, ministered in England back in the 1800s. Uh, and he was appointed, in those days you were appointed to a, to a church. And he was appointed to a church when the pastor died. Um, many in the church wanted the, the associate pastor or the minister at that time to, to take over. And so they were opposed to Simeon, Charles Simeon taking this, this position. And he ministered in that church for 50 years. 30 of those years, the church opposed him. They locked the doors. 
they, in those days, you could buy your pew. And so they locked the pews so that other people could not come and listen. Uh, he wanted to start a second service. They prevented people from doing that. And so he started preaching outside of the, of the church. But he faithfully preached the word. And he said, we should not shy away from suffering a little for the gospel. Uh, 30 years being opposed in your own church or the church that the Lord has given you. He said that, you know what, if, if I can, if I can get my head and shoulders through a hedge, I don't mind the little prickling on my legs as, as I continue to crawl through. So just a remarkable man. But, but an indication for us is that we need to persevere with people. Uh, we need to, Give the gospel and keep on giving the gospel. And there, 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 there may come a time when we need to decide no longer. No longer are we going to do. And, and I think that we need to depend on the Spirit of God to lead us in that. But here we had the way that they should deal. And there's also a very, 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 very serious warning in this passage, verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Those who reject Christ's message and, his mes- and the message of, messenger of Christ, those who reject the call of the king and the commandments of Christ, will find themselves one day in the most dire and dreadful situation in the day of judgment. There is no greater sin than to hear the gospel, the gospel of Christ, the truth of God's word, and then refuse it, reject it, do not believe it, or worse, neglect it. This verse tells us that it will be more bearable, more tolerable for those of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those ancient cities were renowned for their moral wickedness and their their scandalous, heinous sins. He said that they, in the day of judgment, will bear the judgment would be more bearable for them than for those who have heard and not responded. And not received. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah really, they were destroyed by fire and brimstone from heaven, which really serves as a, as a foreshadow of the eternal punishment that awaits all those who, who, who refuse to repent, who refuse to accept Christ in the day of judgment when they will be cast in the lake of fire. People's judgment will be based on the amount of light people have received. I think that's the same judgment that we will receive at the Bema Seat of Christ when Christians are being judged. What have you done with the grace that I've been given you? And we will, of course, suffer reward or lack of reward, not eternal condemnation. But we need to be very, very careful with what we do at the hearing of God's word. 
And that's what Hebrews, the, uh, the, the, the epistle of the Hebrews warned them when it says, For if a word spoken through angels prove unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Basically what he's saying there is, is that in the Old Testament, the law that was given, if you, if you disobey it, there was a, a judgment to follow. But now with the gospel, if we have received the gospel and we neglect the gospel, how will we escape from judgment? J.C. Ryle, a Puritan, wrote, Men are apt to forget that it does not require great open sins to be sinned in order to ruin a soul forever. They have only to go on hearing without believing, listening without repenting, going to church without going to Christ, and by and by they will find themselves in hell. The question that we need to consider as we read this verse is, what have you done with the knowledge of the gospel, the light that you have received? What impact has it had on your life? Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, we should remember that faith works, that love labors, that hope is steadfast, as Paul teach or taught in First Thessalonians chapter one, verse three. Do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? Romans 5.1 tells us that uh, when we are justified, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And now remember, there is no peace for the wicked. Do you have peace in trusting Him? Philippians tells us we should be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let the request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you trust God? Do you have peace, the peace of obedience? Romans 5 tells us, sorry, Romans 8 verse 5 tells us, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind is set, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind is set, uh, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you have peace in obeying God? In giving up the things that we like, the pleasures that we like? And particular obedience in this context Obedience to his commission. Hudson Taylor said this, When Christ called you to come, you came. 
now that he bids you to go, will you not go? Obedience through the involvement, playing your role, fulfilling your ministry in a Christ-glorifying ministry, which is Christ-directed, Christ-dominant, Christ-dependent, and Christ-driven. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you have provided for us all that we need to know, Lord, that the way that we should structure even our ministry, Lord, that Christ must be central to that. Christ must be over it, in it, under it, Lord, before it and behind it, Lord. Oh, Lord, help us to make much of our Savior. Help us to be faithful to Him. Lord, He has been faithful always in the past, in the present, and in the future. Lord, help us to receive Him as our Savior. Help us to receive Him as our King, that we would obey Him and honor Him and walk in a way that is worthy of Him, pleasing Him in every respect bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in our knowledge and our love of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.